Hello, and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and the kid that won the Scripps National Spelling Bee used the word Samophile. Oh, I don't know what that is. It's spelled P-S-A-M-M-O-P-H-I-L-E. So maybe it's Samophile, a plant or animal that thrives in sandy areas. He was 14. Good for him. Yeah. I don't know how they do that. Like A lot of studying. Yeah. And then they break down, like, can you give me the origin? Can you give me the, you know, all this other stuff? I've, yep. I've watched them. Can you or use I've it watched, in a sentence? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they still can figure it out. And I'm just like, dang. Mm-hmm. So anyways. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Um, we're back. We took a week off. Thank you for not quitting listening to us, I guess, <laughs> that week that we've been gone. Um, but we're back today with a brand new case. But, Courtney, um, summer's coming up, so mm-hmm. I want to know, what's your favorite way to spend a day off? Ooh, that's a good question. I'd say my favorite way to spend a day off in the summer particularly or just in general just a day off like if you're like I'm gonna call in sick to work today and you're not really sick not that you ever do that yeah I don't really ever do that um but I would say I like to kind of like laze around my morning Mm -hmm. just like stay in my pjs and like drink some coffee and have a good breakfast and just like I don't know watch something on tv or whatever Mm -hmm. and then if the weather's nice, I like to try and do something outside. Like in the summer, I, I like to go on like long walks and, and things like that um, or hikes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes with my dog, sometimes not with my dog, depending yeah. on I understand that my energy level and yeah. her energy level. Um, yeah, and then just like eat some good food, maybe do some reading, take a nap. Mm-hmm sort of let my my brain not be the thing that is going all the time I'm with you on most of that I do love to take a nap or at least try to take a nap um, on most days that I have a day off just Mm -hmm. laying in bed when I should be doing something like work-wise just feels like a luxury totally a luxury yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, and I I did just go for a hike today I do enjoy hiking um, but most of the time, if I just have one day off, like it's like a Memorial Day or something like that, mm-hmm. I'm just pretty lazy and I just want to do super lazy things and try not to feel guilty about it because I feel like the work ethic that a lot of us have, um, at least that we know, mm-hmm. it makes it hard to just waste a whole day with, or at least for me, without feeling guilty, like I should have at least done some chores, mm. you know, or adulting some errands. <laughs> So, yeah, I've gotten better about that. Um, usually, like even just like on the weekend, I'll sort of take one day where I just sort of like laze around most of the day and do very little when I have the option. Mm-hmm. And then like the other day is sort of my like one do day. stuff day. Yeah, get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, good. We're kind of on the same page on that. We are. It's like we work hard all week. So we don't play hard all weekend we do not yeah (laughs) we play very softly right um well new case that Courtney picked 
today. And like she said last time, it was just kind of she it was like a roll the dice and pick the dude. Yep. Found the book, thought the description on the back sounded interesting. And then I ordered it. So the book she's talking about is Entering Hades by John Leake, The Double Life of a Serial Killer. And with that, we're going to get started. All right. Okay. So as I said, today we're discussing a case um, that John, by uh, whatever I just said. <laughs> and this case actually was spread over two continents and several countries. So a man who got a second shot at life but blew it because of his own selfish and sick desires. He was a slick talker, of course, as he was most undoubtedly a malignant narcissist with a flair for the theatrical. And he was the darling of the Austrian literary world for a time. So yes, this is primarily in Austria. So hello to any of our Austrian um, people that listen to us. I don't think we have very many, but I've seen some in Germany, which right. I know is not the same country, but they speak the same language. So anyways, uh, for those of us who were clueless about this monster, um, the way that Courtney and I are, Courtney and I were, we're talking about none other than Jack Utenweger, Utenweger, sorry. And the monikers mm -hmm. I found were civil, silver tongue devil and the poet of death. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of like the poet of death better. It's very dramatic. Yeah. I think he would like it better too. Probably. The main sources of information we used were, like I said, the book, um, The Double Life of the Serial Killer. And there's also a documentary series on world's most evil killers. I think it was season two, episode eight or something like that. But it's you can find it um, on streaming services. Yes. And it was um, it was like 45 minutes and mm -hmm. it was pretty good. Um, I did notice between some of the sources that there were different pieces of information that didn't always match up. So Courtney and I kind of just figured what seemed to make the most sense. So right. just throwing that out there. So Johan Jack... Unterweger was born on August 16th, 1950 in Junenburg, Austria, Austria. I, I'm going to say right away that some of these names I'm not going to say correctly. So just, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. His mother's name was uh, Teresa Unterweger, who was a Viennese barmaid, and Jack Becker, who was an American soldier that just didn't hang around to raise Jack. Jack claims that his mother was a sex worker, and although that is disputed, she was incarcer incarcerated off and on several times during his youth, typically for fraud. At some point, his mother was in prison so much that he had to be placed with his grandfather for his upbringing. Jack described this upbringing with his grandfather as tumultuous. He, claim he claims that his grandfather was drunk and he was abusive. He would parade sex workers in and out of the house and just didn't really care or try to hide anything from his young and impressionable grandson. So he really set the bar pretty low when it came to respecting women. Basically, little Jack learned from his grandfather that women were to be used as he pleased and that they were pretty much worthless beyond that. Now, we do have to remember that Jack lies a lot. And just as he described his childhood as such, you know, some of his relatives claimed the opposite was true. It's also rumored that Jack's grandpa used to help him steal farm animals. Um, in 1958, he was taken out of that home and he was placed in the foster care system. So I'm sure some of that was true. Right. So, Courtney, we have another not ideal childhood here. Mom in and out of jail, possibly doing sex work, 
But whatever she's up to, her son was taken out of her care and put into a home with a possibly abusive man who uses women to get his needs met and does it so brazenly uh, in front of his young grandson. He may be using Jack to help him in in the illegal activities. He may be physically abusing him. He's most likely neglecting him on some level. Um, What are you thinking? I mean, we have seen really similar upbringings in a number of the serial killers we've covered, you know, and without a positive role model really of either sex, you know, Jack's worldview was very limited to the criminal and potentially abusive environment that he was raised in. You know, he learned how to treat women by watching his grandfather use them for sex and then discard them. He learned that it's acceptable to steal, cheat, or defraud others in order to get what he wants and needs. You know, growing up in this world likely presented pretty limited options, you know, as to what Jack thought he could do or who he could be as a person. And with his mom or any maternal figure, there was none. Um, There was no one to offer a different narrative of this. So his mom basically abandoned him. And yeah, may, not maybe not on purpose, being in jail or whatever. But basically, she was no longer there, and this guy obviously was not fit to raise someone. And uh, I got like a little Gary Ridgeway vibe, but Gary Ridgeway's mother was part of the problem and was definitely there, so not totally right, right. But <clears throat> Jack would later in life write a book that was based on his experiences. And throughout the book, there are recurring themes of him desperately trying to find his mother and the love that she is supposed to provide. He wants her to rescue him from his grandpa, but she doesn't ever come. His grandfather tells him that her, his mother is a, quote, tramp and just has no time for her son. Courtney, we see this mother-child bond being the most important bond in a person's life. Why do you think that is? Why is it seemingly so crucial? If we put aside having basic needs met, why can't a father figure be as pivotal? The cycle I see in these serial killers is that a man screws up a woman. The woman goes on to have a male child. Typically, they are the ones who become serial killers, so that's why I'm singling them out. The woman screws up that male child because of what happened to her, and the male hates women and takes vengeance upon them. It's like the chicken or the egg. It's a cycle, but it stands out in most all of these stories, especially those with narcissistic and sadistic tendencies. There's nothing inherently that makes it so that a mother-child bond is more important than a father-child bond. You know, if a child has a present, caring, and responsible, like responsive single dad who does the primary caregiving, then that would be the most important attachment in that child's life. This is just far less common, especially in the past, um, than for the primary parent to be the mother. We just usually see, like, dads leave mm-hmm. and moms are left to, to right. do all the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so... When we're looking at attachment and how it impacts relationships, the type of relationship between child and their primary caregiver is the most important part, far more important than like the gender of the parent. Um, in Jack's case, the primary female in his life, his mother, was very inconsistent and neglectful, which would lead to his feeling distrustful of women, as we see happened. Um, And his primary male caregiver, his grandfather, was, per his report, abusive and neglectful, again, teaching Jack that he can't trust men and that they are also something to be feared. 
And then we throw on the total abandonment wound from Jack's father not being around at all. And he was just kind of set up to have poor relationships. Yeah. Well, Jack didn't do well in school. In fact, he was illiterate. And by age nine, he was considered a truant. He survived by petty thievery and pimping. Yes, he was a teenage pimp. The laws about prostitution in Europe, or at least in some of the countries, are much different than those in most of the United States. It's legal in several countries, including Austria, or at least at the time it was, and sex workers were registered with the government. I guess they still needed pimps at times. I don't know. However, maybe for protection. Occasionally, Jack would work as a waiter, but he started to rack up arrests. He was arrested over a dozen times by the time he was 24. He spent many years in jail during his youth for theft, assault, and rape. When he was 24, um, that year was 1974, Jack murdered his first known victim. She was an 18-year-old woman from West Germany, Margaret Shager. He did it with the help, albeit not necessarily willing help, from a girlfriend. They robbed her, then robbed her parents, and then he took her to the woods, forced her to disrobe, then proceeded to beat her with a steel rod and strangled her with her own bra. It was that girlfriend he had who eventually turned him in. He admitted to the crime and told the judge, quote, I envisioned my mother in front of me, and I killed her. He was described at the time by a psychiatrist as an extremely dangerous, unpredictable, and incurable individual. He was egocentric and aggressive with sexual perversion with a psychotic component. Courtney? If Jack had been evaluated by a mental health professional at a younger age, and using today's terminology, he very clearly would have qualified for the diagnosis of conduct disorder as a youth. Um, So per the DSM-5, conduct disorder is defined as, quote, a repetitive and persistent pattern of behavior in which the basic rights of others or major age-appropriate societal norms or rules are violated, as manifested by the presence of three or more of 15 criteria in the last 12 months. Now, I'm not going to go into all 15 of those criteria because that's a long list. Um, But they are broken into categories to kind of help sort things out. So the first one is aggression towards people or animals. Check. Jack had that. Um, There's destruction of property. Unknown, but sounds probably likely. Mm -hmm. You know, aggression or, excuse me, deceitfulness or theft. Check. Mm -hmm. And serious violation of rules. Check. So, you know, in addition to just meeting the basic criteria, Jack would also qualify for some fun specifiers as well, including um, what's called childhood onset, because these behaviors started prior to the age of 10, um, and with limited pro-social emotions, because he displayed no guilt or remorse, had limited empathy, and was unconcerned with the impact on his life like for example having poor school performance or getting arrested or not being able to keep a job and you know often conduct disorder is a precursor to antisocial behavior in adults which we can clearly see occurred in this case starting as a very young adult yeah Well, for his crimes, Jack got a life sentence in 1976 in a prison in Austria. Now, we've seen that in other countries, life in prison does not necessarily mean life, you know, like literal life in prison. And other nations are more lenient on releasing prisoners than those in the U.S. Uh, However, you you do hear about violent offenders being released in the U.S. as well, but not typically due to successful rehabilitation, but because lack of space. 
Jack accomplished a lot in prison. He learned how to read and write. He taught himself, and he wrote a lot. He wrote an autobiographical book entitled Purgatory in English, um, or Trip to Prison Report of a Guilty Man, which was turned into a movie. He also wrote a lot of poetry, plays, and other short stories that were published. He indeed wrote two best-selling books while he was in prison. He also wrote stories for a successful program for children translated to The Bedtime Program for Little Ones, The Little Sandman is Coming. He was a minor celebrity at this point as a prisoner, and, you know, they thought he was successfully rehabilitated. That's what they thought. So at this time, Ostra was reforming their prison systems, and um, while Jack was incarcerated, incarcerated to his supporters, Jack was, quote, proof that the new prison system was successful. I mean, look at all he accomplished. He taught himself how to read and write. He was a changed man. Politicians were even pushing for his freedom. There was a lot of pressure on, you know, those in the system to release Jack. Some in the know warned that Jack was a very dangerous narcissist and they should not fall for his charms. Those warnings were ignored as Jack was released 15 years into his life sentence. He was released without any provisions at all. No parole officer, no mandatory therapy, no medical psychiatrist, nothing. Absolute freedom for the strangling and robbery of an 18-year-old woman. He is quoted as saying, quote, that life is over now. Let's get it on with the new. Courtney, what do you think? Not, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not get it on. <laughs> <laughs> that life is over. Let's get on with the new. There we go. Yeah. To me, Jack is an example of someone who really used his time in prison to, and I say this, in major quotes, better himself, Mm -hmm. at least in the sense of getting an education and developing skills. Before prison, Jack had to focus on just surviving, so there was no room for anything else. But now, with all of his basic needs met in prison, he suddenly had all the time in the world. And so while he was already dangerous going in, becoming educated in prison made him even more so. Because now he had more knowledge and understanding of how the world worked and how people functioned. He developed a more eloquent vocabulary and style and was able to apply that to his natural charm in order to become a more successful and sophisticated manipulator and criminal. One of the psychologists that they were interviewing in the um, documentary that studied the case, I don't think she was actually part of his stuff um basically said that you know she believes that prison reform can work if the the inmate actually works on processing what they've done that it's wrong establish new behavior patterns understand you know how it should be in the real world and blah 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 but that he did not do that at all no he he didn't didn't work on any self-work as far as that goes correct so when he was released, he was not at all different in that capacity than when he went in. He did improve in other aspects, of course, like, you know, as we said, but that evilness aspect, or I don't want to call it evil, but whatever, that motivation was still there. So anyways, he's out now, and he moved to Vienna upon his release, and he really played up his status as the rehabilitated prisoner. He was like a golden boy in the literary circles. He bought a fight, a white Ford Mustang, and apparently this was like a statement car at the time. He was very flashy. We'll post some pictures of him on Instagram, and you can see his quirky outfits. He was pretty vain, 
Um, he was doing radio shows, TV shows, book readings, poetry readings, all the things that could feed one's ego. He was a peacock. He also started doing journalistic stories for news organizations. He focused on criminal things like prison reform and prostitution and crime, etc. He had women throwing themselves at him, and he was definitely taking advantage of all the attention from these women. Jack may have had a lot of going had a lot going for him, but he also had that rage and that sadistic homicidal urge that he still needed to deal with. And he didn't wait too long before he allowed them to take over. Courtney, before I describe his killing spree, do you have anything else you'd like to add about, you know, how he behaved when he got out of prison? Are we dealing with just, you know, a malignant narcissist? And what does that mean, malignant narcissist? But they, they did use that to describe him. So just one other thing to note is that Jack now also had access to more money than he'd ever experienced before, which allowed him to blend in and join into the sort of higher class society that he wanted to be a part of. He was friends with many influential people in Vienna and definitely would try to use that to his advantage. Um, And this does tie directly into the hypothesis that Jack was a malignant narcissist. Now, this is not an official diagnosis in the DSM, but refers to a more kind of informal subtype of narcissistic personality disorder, um, in which a person also displays antisocial, aggressive, and sadistic behaviors. The psychologist Eric Fromm, um, who coined the term malignant narcissist in 1964, used it or described it as, quote, representing the quintessence of evil, end quote. So just a little quick refresher. Um, NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, is used to describe a person who has a grandiose sense of self and importance, believes they are special and entitled to special treatment, requires significant admiration, um, lacks empathy for others, and is exceptionally vulnerable to criticism. Now add to that the traits of taking pleasure in manipulating or harming others, having no remorse, and having high levels of anger and aggression, and you have malignant narcissism. And I do think that this is a very good description of what Jack became. Do you think most of the narcissists we see are malignant, the ones that we have been talking about? Um, I would say yes. If it's, you know, they're a serial killer, then Mm -hmm. they definitely have that, that, that piece to them. In September of 1990, four months after he was a free man, is when we know he killed again. He went to the former former Czechoslovakia. Um, it was her name was Blanka Bokava. Bokava, I'm sure I said that wrong. But she was a 19 year old shop assistant. She was strangled by a pair of stockings, probably her own. She was discovered in the woods, naked and sparsely covered with dirt and leaves. A month later, he he killed three more women. Brunhilde Masser, age 39, was found three months after she was killed in the forest in Graz. Heidi Hammerer, age 31, was killed in Lustenau. Both of these women were found strangled by their stockings. Elfred Schrimpf, age 35, was found seven months after she had been murdered in the forest near Graz. One of the victims survived. Um, no name was given in the documentary, but she was able to convey that sexual and sadistic acts occurred with Jack. 
The women he murdered were sex workers, and his sadism was obvious from the evidence found on their bodies. Most likely, he picked them up under the guise of sex work, then took them into the woods and killed them. It was noted that he would position their bodies of the victims with their legs spread apart, sometimes with their rears in the air. Courtney, do you want to speak to what he was trying to convey with this? Positioning the women like this speaks to a desire to humiliate and degrade them. You know, by displaying their genitals so prominently, he is, in a way, symbolically reducing them to be nothing more than sex objects. Which it seems apparent that's what he... That's how he thought of them. Yeah. Um, I don't think I put this in here, but while he's dating women at the same time this is going on, he is also encouraging them to go into sex work and he wants to be their pimps. Yes. Remember that? Like, yep, that happens. Uh-huh. And I don't think I really go into it, but that's just something to note that he was dating women, but also trying to push them into sex work and he wanted to be their pimp. So, Most of them said no. Right. Yeah. Jack's next four victims were Austrian prostitutes. He wasn't really hiding. His car was flashy and he was frequenting red light districts and women were going missing. He was living a double life for sure. Jack began reporting on what was happening with all the killings of the prostitutes and was actually doing field work with police and other experts trying to, quote, figure out who was killing these women. So, yeah, he was on assignment (laughs) trying to figure out why these women were just showing up dead, these prostitutes, even though he's the reason why. Um, but you know, he was doing stuff like why had the police not been successful in catching the perp, catching the perp? Um, he was doing radio interviews, asking these questions to the police. Well, since he was on the case, it gave him a good cover for his car being seen in the red light district. And if he was seen talking to prostitutes, uh, it was because he was doing research. So he was killing the prostitutes and then he was reporting on the story and had a great alibi. Crazy. I mean, smart. Yeah. Right. Uh, No one said he was stupid. Uh, The police did have Jack on their radar, but thus far, there was no real evidence yet. In fact, Jack was still so popular and his opinion so valuable that he got an assignment to go to Los Angeles to write about prostitution in the United States. And so that was in June 91. He went to the U.S. And of course, he was drawn to the infamous Cecil Hotel in downtown L.A., that place is so creepy. I so many bad people have stayed there. So many bad things have happened there. Um, I was thinking about rewatching that documentary because we know Richard Ramirez stayed there, right? And and then others. there was the the dead woman found in the thing on in top the of the water roof. tank. Yeah. yeah, and then lots of uh, suicides and murders and stuff. Anyhow, he stayed there as well. Um, during the short time he was in L.A., he killed three prostitutes while doing research for his quote assignment. Maybe I should have put research in the quotes, not assignment. But anyhow, you get what I'm saying. Shannon Exley was the first. Irene Rodriguez and Shirley Ann Long. All of them were strangled with a bra and all of them with the same knot. They may have also been sexually assaulted with a tree branch. I saw some reports saying that and some that didn't mention it. Well, back at home, the police were starting to see a pattern among the killings and realized they had a serial killer on their hands. They even um, worked with the... American FBI. I guess that's the only FBI. Right. Um, <laughs> on the, Our good old behavioral yeah. science. <clears throat> yeah. And mm-hmm. basically, whoever was analyzing the case, the knot was very particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, if you find the person who can tie this knot, you found the killer. Right. So, I guess it was really unique. Yeah. Yeah. So they were also... Um, sorry. 
Okay, so they were all the cops were also able to see that Jack was near the places the women were found or went missing, and they realized that Jack was kind of becoming their main suspect because of all of this circumstantial evidence. Courtney, anything you'd like to comment on regarding his serial killings? I don't know if we've seen another that went so far outside of their hunting grounds and continued to kill. I think the fact that he just killed everywhere he went speaks to the frequency and intensity of his homicidal urges. He simply could not help himself when the opportunity presented, and his narcissism likely made it seem like he would never get caught. Right, and then, you know, as with most psychopaths, they get bored and it's, like, stimulating. So, like, him being in a whole new territory that he doesn't know and being able to kill probably just was so titillating right. to him. I mean, tempting. and especially, you know, he was in L.A. doing ride-alongs with police yes. officers mm-hmm. and learning all about how they investigated and, you know, worked the, the prostitution rings and things like that so he was taking his assignment really seriously because mm-hmm. he was doing ride-alongs with with police officers and the police officers liked him because he's charming right and they were like oh this is kind of cool he's from another country comparing notes etc they did think he was weird because sure. he is well, weird he, he he did dress not to the to the norm of he did that. show up as like a disco cowboy yes he did in the airport mm-hmm. <laughs> he did Um, Well, so when he returned to Austria from L.A., he brought an American girlfriend with him, but she only lasted a few weeks before he got bored and moved on. He started dating a very young girl, probably about 18 years old, uh, from a prominent family. During this time, Jack was questioned several times by the police, and eventually an arrest warrant was issued, so Jack ran away. Jack and his teenage girlfriend went to Florida on the lam, but Jack was sloppy about communicating with his attorney and other helpers, a.k.a. the women he was manipulated back, manipulating back in Austria. And he is found eventually in Florida and then extradited back to Austria. The book goes back and forth about how he was fighting extradition, but eventually he decided he wanted to go back to Austria because the U.S. suspected him of killing the prostitutes. Um, and he knew about the prison system in the U.S. And I think at the time it was the gas chamber at San Quentin if you were convicted in California and sentenced to death. So, you know, not very many countries have the death penalty. So he eventually was like, oh, get me out of here. Right. <laughs> I want to go back to Austria if I'm going to go down for these crimes. Um, and he still had... He was still pretty sure he could talk himself out of getting in trouble for these crimes. He had that narcissistic Mm -hmm. immunity you speak of. Right, exactly. All right, well, eventually he's sent back to Austria, and he is charged with killing 11 women, including the three from Los Angeles. And that's another thing I learned in this case. I guess there are some international relationships that will allow one country to try a person for a a crime they committed in another country, such as this. On May 28, 1992... He was back in Austria in police custody. Two years later, he was on trial. This was the first Austrian case that used DNA as evidence. All of his fans sort of scattered about when it was pretty apparent that he committed these crimes. The knots he used were examined and presented as evidence as well. Austrian juries have eight members, unlike the U.S. 12. If it is split four and four on, you know, guilty or innocent, then the prisoner goes free. So if he could just convince half the jury he was innocent, then he would walk. Well, the final jury vote was six to two, guilty of nine of the 11 murders. So he received life in prison again. After his sentencing, Jack was in his cell for a whole six hours, serving his sentence before he hung himself with his shoelaces. And he used the same knot to tie his noose as he did to strangle his victims. Kind of poetic, 
you know, the way he exited his life, I suppose. What do you think, Courtney? Yeah, you you sort of touched on this, but one really interesting aspect of this case is that Jack was so narcissistic that he really believed that he could get away with murder. He chose to go back to Austria when he was caught, in part because he believed that his fame and his association with influential people would keep him from being convicted. And after all, he'd convinced them before that he was a changed person, so why would this time be any different? And so he was genuinely shocked when he was found guilty. Like, he did not expect that that could even be a possibility. So that's interesting. Like, being so sure of oneself. Mm -hmm. As someone who suffers with um, insecurity and low self-esteem, I can't even, I don't know. His con- con- <laughs> he knew he did it, but he just was right. so sure of himself um, that he could convince others that he didn't, that he was a good guy, that he basically bet his life on it and got sent back to Austria instead of fighting extradition, where maybe in maybe in California there wouldn't have been enough evidence. You know, maybe. There, right. he had way less of a trail in L.A. than he did in Austria. He was there for f- three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't. So anyways. Yeah. Right. Um. But anyways, I do think he was definitely addicted to murder. I mean, he couldn't even hold off enough to get back home from L.A. to pick up on it again, which you had said it was like the, the urge was so insatiable. He couldn't even wait for a couple weeks. Right. To do it. Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Anything else you want to say? Just that I think this is another one of those cases where people need to listen to the experts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? The psychiatrist, mm-hmm. the therapist, the psychologist, they all said, this guy is dangerous. Don't let him out. Right. I mean, they said that upon his entry into prison the first time. And yeah. they definitely were being emphatic about it when they, he was like going to possibly be, rele- be released. They were like, he has not done the work. Right. He does not feel remorse. Yeah. So in this case, they had him on murder and mm-hmm. they let him go. And then he murdered 11 more women. Right. And there's, um, he's suspected of murdering more people, like, before he went in the first Mm -hmm. time. You know, it's just one of those things we'll never really know, because he's gone. Right. I mean, I guess... And he lied a lot about his life. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, he didn't, I guess, cost the Austrian taxpayers any money, because he ended his life six hours into his, you Mm. know, whatever sentence, but... But on the other hand, when he was out for that, what, less than a year Mm -hmm. that he was out... Um, he was being paid a government subsidy yeah. for being a writer or like an artist, mm-hmm. basically like an artist grant. Yeah. It's interesting how other countries work. Mm-hmm. I like le- learning about other prison systems. Um, I like doing these cases uh, in other countries because it's just the parallels or the juxtapositions or whatever between us and them Mm -hmm. kind of need to see where we align and then where we diverge right so um yeah i'm hoping anyone who knows of this case in europe uh, i hope we did it justice and i again apologize for the miss saying of the names i do not have like a gift for that so that's okay i try but anyways um so next week we're gonna do are we still on on for that yep we're gonna do another like breakdown mm-hmm. of narcissistic narcissistic personality disorder so it's going to be a courtney guided episode um on our youtube or our videos we've got one for 
a narcissistic parent dealing right. with narcissistic parents, but we haven't done narcissistic personality disorder. Right. And we got such a positive response when we did the kind of the deep dive into antisocial personality mm-hmm. disorder that we decided to do it again. Right. And I think there's some, um, well, we won't have to do quite as much of the, um, groundwork. Yeah. Because if you just listen, so yeah, I would recommend if you haven't to listen to our ASPD episode before next week, because it does part of what is at the beginning of that episode does apply to narcissistic, like how to get to it. Right. right. Like the diagnosis wise. So, cause we won't go so into it cause it is kind of complicated it and is. I don't want to make you rehash all of that again. <laughs> so, okay. Well, um, Courtney, what do we do when we meet a man in a white Ford Mustang who wants to see our bra straps? We go nuts, go home and go to therapy. That's right. All right, everyone stay safe. We'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.